Hello and welcome to the Pediatric Network. Now today we're going to be breaking down the clinical consensus statement on ankyloglossia. Now this was put together by 11 ENT docs and published in 2020 in the American Academy of Otolaryngology Head and Neck Surgery. Now I need someone who is of an interesting background to be able to help me break down such an interesting paper and that person is Dr. Aurelie Petty clerk. Now let me give you her bio and then you'll understand why I've had her come onto the network and help us break down some of these statements. So she graduated from French Chiropractic College in 2006. She's certified International Chiropractic Pediatric Association CACCP and an internationally board certified lactation consultant. So she's a DC and an IBCLC. Her professional uh, experience is over four different countries. So she's worked in France, Scotland, the US and Canada and international training in oral dysfunction as well as tethered oral tissues. And this makes her chiropractic approach truly unique. She's passionate about the well-being of the mom-baby dyad and their success into the breastfeeding journey. And besides her busy practice, she has trained over more than 400 francophone providers, that being chiropractors, midwives, doctors, SLPs, doulas, and the list goes on. So we've chosen a couple of statements that they've made. This paper is vast. So we've chosen a couple of statements we'd like to talk about, and we're gonna break those down and see what we think about what they've come up with. Please, your comments are welcome, and I look very forward to seeing what you think about it. So for now, please help me welcome to the Pediatric Network, Dr. Aurelie Petticleck. Hello and welcome to the Pediatric Network. My name is Mike Marinas. I'm your chiropractor and host here for everything baby related. And I am really excited to be speaking today with Dr. Aurelie Petticleck. How are you? Hi, Mike. Uh, I'm very good. How are you doing? <laughs> not too bad. Not too bad. Wonderful to be able to speak to you. The reason that we're going to be speaking to you today is that there is the consensus statement that came out of the States. Let me just get the name correct because I don't want to mess that up. It is the clinical consensus statement for ankyloglossia in children. Now that was put out in the last little bit, uh, 11 ENTs altogether that came up with a consensus statement on what is happening with ankyloglossia. So uh, the, the reason that I'm so excited to have Aurelie on today is she is a chiropractor and an IBCLC. So she is that rare breed of person that is gonna have such a unique take on this paper. So I have asked her and she's very, very kindly said that she'll come on and spend some of her time with us. So thank you, first of all. I'm very happy to be here. Uh, I'm usually speaking in French in interviews, but I'm so happy if you can understand my accent to, uh, to, to go forward with the English part. <laughs> <laughs> so first of all, I would like to find out just a bit of background to you before we get into a couple of the questions we're going to talk about with this consensus statement. What is it like to be a chiropractor working neuromusculoskeletally with these little babies and have that background of IBCLC? Uh, well, first of all, my, my first background obviously is being a chiropractor. So I've been a chiropractor for 15 years now. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, I, I worked in 
four different countries and five different places. So uh, we, we are travelers. Um, and the, the story behind being an IBCLC is, first of all, I've been working in pediatric for more than, than 10 years, mm -hmm. uh, ever since I was in Scotland, actually. And I had babies. <laughs> I had babies, so I became a mom, and then I suddenly understood what was what it was all about to uh, to breastfeed and to have those difficulties. Um, and it taught me so much as a parent, but also started to really have an impact on my practice with uh, babies and with the diet mom and babies actually mm -hmm. because this is what is it is all about and I started to train and train so I did not become an IBCLC right away because I first trained with the ICPA uh, which took a long time this mm -hmm. is a big training um, but the the story behind becoming an IBCLC is that we are expats and um, uh, in my head I thought that maybe one day we would be sent in a country where there's absolutely no lactation support and uh, we would be in the middle of nowhere and I would love to be able to have that deeper knowledge and uh, certification so this is what I did uh, in 2018, uh, uh, and I was very happy to do it because we've been sent at that time to uh, on an island where uh, breastfeeding support was very, very limited. So this is when I started to practice uh, with craniosacral therapy mm -hmm. and, um, and lactation support. So how is it on a daily basis to be a chiropractor and a lactation consultant? Well, um, I usually mix both together. So 90% of my practice is to work with moms and babies mm -hmm. uh, and, 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 and dads, of course, like new parents and babies, let's say, because I like to have the three of them in the room with me. Yeah. And um, I spend a long time with them. Um, I think that um, there's a many, many reasons why a breastfeeding uh, uh, can be difficult for the dyad. Uh, as a chiropractor, of course, my first um, um, focus is the neuromusculoskeletal uh, mm -hmm. dysfunctions, difficult birth, uh, position in the womb, uh, extra. But what I really developed is the capacity to evaluate the oral function of the baby. And having the IBCLC um, uh, training also helped me to see if there's any position difficulties, if there's, um, if the latch is deep enough, why is it not deep enough? So it's really giving me uh, many more tools, basically. Basically, uh, if we want to make it short, um, uh, with my hands as a body worker, but also with my eyes and with my um, observation as an IBCLC. Hmm. Okay, so that really it gives you this <clears throat> this uh, encompassing look at uh, breastfeeding dysfunction and to be able to really give. Um, and I'm guessing like the the advice that you must be able to give around that as well must just be so so beneficial because it's happening at the same time as you're melding it into the advice for the neuromusculoskeletal stuff correct usually i start with a very extensive um history 
free, of course, uh, and uh, what's going on, what are the difficulties. But pretty quickly, I do my chiropractic exam on the baby, uh, and I can pretty quickly uh, see if there's any um, more physical dysfunctions, either in the body or in the cranial or in the mouth or, you know, in the jaw. And that gives me a lot of input into the plan, actually. I still love working with IBCLCs in general. When I have a, a good ones around me, I'm, you know, I also like a lot to focus on my chiropractic work. But um, I also like the fact that I don't always rely on it to be able to help moms and babies okay i'm with you i'm with you and that really brings me nicely to the next thing that i'd like to know from you because within the pediatric network we have a a, a whole bunch of different uh, disciplines and all of us are working with children when and, and a lot of us are working with with newborns and neonates and, and infants when do we refer to ibclcs what are our indicators you mean for breastfeeding issues? Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, I'm gonna be straight with that uh, with that question. I think we should refer first to an IBCLC. Perfect. <laughs> Whoever I agree. we are, chiropractors, pediatrician, doctors, they have a fantastic. Um, experience. IBCLC is a certification, so you can be IBCLC and a doctor, IBCLC and a nurse. Uh, it's it, and but in some countries, it's also a proper certification that allows you to be completely there for moms and babies with the breastfeeding. I really think that uh, each provider with like first, um, how do you say that in English? Mm -hmm. First uh, contact with moms first and contact. babies cool. yeah. uh, should really work with IBCLCs um, or lactation consultant in general. Mm. So it should be almost like, and I think I think I'm on level with you here. This is something that that most parents should go through if we're having <clears throat> if we're having issues, even maybe for some people uh, b before the issues begin to be able to run them past an IBCLC to go look breastfeeding and and this I might be way off base, but but just uh, you are welcome to school me if you like. One of the things that I've always thought is, and I'm coming from this from the point of view of also being a man, so you are welcome to just tell me exactly where I belong. However, um, because we don't live in that tribal sort of society, that very grouping society where as growing up, you see breastfeeding in front of you all the time and breastfeeding is a very normalized thing for a little for a little child to see as they grow up they're helping mom with baby and that kind of thing so when it comes to breastfeeding your own baby my thinking is that because it's so naturalized for you you've seen it happen a bunch of times you've seen the mechanic already you have an idea of your body how a baby would be held that kind of thing but in our sort of Western setup, it's a very behind closed doors thing. And, and you're given your new baby, which first of all, you're like, how do I hold this? And then told to do this thing, which I'm guessing there is a lot. I'm not guessing. I know from I've been schooled properly by RBCLCs. There's a lot of technique to this stuff. Oh, absolutely. Uh, when I, I'm going to I'm going to talk about my experience when mm -hmm. I was pregnant, I remember taking breastfeeding classes prenatal so I was uh, you know I didn't have my baby yet and to be perfectly honest with you I was with my husband uh, there and we were uh, kind of 
thinking that it was that simple and I was already a pediatric chiropractor. I, I'm mm. not ashamed to say it. Then when uh, we, we had uh, our baby, it was a complete other world. And you're very quickly alone in your house with nobody around. We are, I think, in a... Um, I have to say it, we are in a disconnected uh, society. And when we say it takes a village uh, to raise a child, mm -hmm. it's, it's really no joke. So, um, and this is really, really why I'm, I'm there for the parents, uh, just to have that little tiny place where they can have uh, the most holistic support they can get. Because as you say, we have less and less the chance to be Part of a community uh, and especially this year with covid mm, it's mm. been dramatic it's really um, it's, it, it is actually it is in many many uh, many cases uh, we 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 kind of lose that ability to 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 make it natural to make it um uh, oh yeah i've seen that i've seen my mom you know like taking that that position my aunt my cousin uh, uh and and babies are also as a chiropractic point of view babies are less touch less stimulated extra extra so things are really much more into um a learning curve but a conscious brainstorming mm -hmm. learning curve instead mm -hmm. of being much more natural than before that being said uh, i really feel wherever i worked that the breastfeeding rate is increasing from a few years ago uh, i was born in the uh, 80s and um i was not breastfed most of mm -hmm. my friends were not breastfed uh, mm -hmm. and I, I i see that there's much much more um uh, effort uh, and support to put uh, uh, for for the diet to to be sure. able to breastfeed. Yeah, no, absolutely. So absolutely. So I mean, me, me and my wife talk often about the fact that when we had I mean, my my daughter is now 13. Um, well, the, the support that is around now, and also and I was a pediatric chiropractor at that time as well, and and seeing a lot of kids at that time. What I didn't know if I could go back now, I mean, if we could have got hold of a lactation consultant, but it was one of those things where it was kind of gone, you're finding breastfeeding a little difficult. Here's some formula. Don't worry about it. It'll be easy. And me sitting as a pediatric chiropractor going, that sounds like a good idea because I've got the filter of being a new dad going, well, I need sleep as well. My poor wife is in tears with this thing. It's not oh, working yeah. it, you know, and I want to fix it because that's the, the manly thing to do. I want, and we fix it by doing this because someone's told me what to do. I look back now and I just think, Oh my goodness. You know, so that's also part of <laughs> we our We learn journey. a lot. We, we learn a lot, even as, as, you know, uh, professionals. Uh, absolutely. And this is why I'm always saying it. my children taught me so much. Uh, but I'm mm. really in my heart thinking that if there's the proper support for uh, the parents and the babies, most of people, most of women can breastfeed. Yeah. Um, we, this is natural. Of course, there's always medical exceptions and no woman should feel guilty not to be able to. But uh, with the proper support, uh, it's so much um, mm. more easy. Yeah, easier. I get you. I get you. So thank you for all of that. You actually made me a bit emotional now thinking about our journey. So thank you. That's exactly what I was after to feel it. Don't cry, to feel it in here. Cry. I'm going to try and hold it together. I promise I will hold it together. So I want to talk to you. Let's let's dive in slowly to this to this paper. 
talk to me just general general tongue tie what are we dealing with oh this is a big topic mm. uh, I've, I've been training uh in that topic for the last uh, 10 years actually mm -hmm. um in different places and uh this is a um, a difficult topic because not everyone agrees on everything uh, it's the same for lots of topics, but uh, the definition, and especially in the paper we are talking about, uh, is a condition of limiting tongue mobility caused by a restrictive lingual frenulum. So when we are in the womb, so when we develop embryologically, so that's when my uh, French... <laughs> You did the, really well. The, yes. <laughs> when we develop in the womb, um, around um, uh, week nine to week 12, we, uh, so first of all, the tongue is attached to the floor of the mouth in the mm -hmm. beginning like the fingers are attached together like what mm -hmm. fingers okay and uh around the first in the first trimester of pregnancy which is pretty early on there's what we call an apoptosis which is a programmed um, uh, cell death mm -hmm. that helped the tongue to individualize uh, from the floor of the mouth okay. and a tie uh, and a tongue tie specifically is when that apoptosis, like the, the individualization is not happening or not happening fully. Mm. Okay. So uh, there's, so we, we talk about, uh, and we're going to talk about that, I guess, we talk about anterior tongue ties, posterior tongue ties, mm. extra, extra, and this is a difficult topic to talk about with, uh, with everybody agreeing on. Um, but basically, uh, my understanding is that when the tongue does uh, stays um, attached almost fully, this is an anterior tongue tie. And okay. the less attached it is to the tip of the tongue this is where we are going toward the posterior okay. tie okay i've got you i got you right is this something you come across relatively often that that lingual frenulum that is there uh limits the mobility so if we integrate anterior and posterior tongue tie yes a lot but also i'm biased because i have the reputation to be pretty well trained into that so this is the most patient i have been uh, referred uh okay you know okay. with so yes but mm. also because this is my training and this is what i do the most so yes that's what you're in okay but and the statistic the, sorry the statistic yep. shows that it's one to four percent of the population uh this is when we count the only the anterior tongue tie when we when we integrate the posterior one uh it's way more than that okay okay i get you i get you i want to know from your point of view because a lot of and and we've just been through this paper now um a, a lot of it is about either cut it or don't cut it but there is a whole lot of therapy that can go on in between and that is what you spend a lot of your time doing so could you give me just a basic idea of what it is manually that you would be looking at and working on with a child with a tongue tie to be able to make life easier for them oh absolutely um the, again there's different school of thoughts uh on all of that but my practice is first of all always to work with a team with different providers different specialities to make a full oral assessment and to have the proper 
therapy available for each patient. Of course, each patient is different, but as my, uh, with my background as a chiropractor, I always want to make sure this is really a tie we are talking about because a lot of things can, um, can mimic a tie, but not really at the end be one. So uh, when I say a lot of things, a lot of things can mimic oral restriction exactly. Mm -hmm. And when we work on it, sometimes we see that this is not a tie after all. So um, I, this is why I, re I almost never refer any uh, even baby for a release right away, um, even when it's really obvious uh, for, for, for two reasons. First, because sometimes when we work on all the fascial, myofascial mm -hmm. release of inside the mouth, outside the mouth, cranial part extra, the oral function improves 100%. Mm. So this is, this is a big hurrah for everyone because we don't have to go and release a tie that is not a tie. Um, when there's when after that work there's still restriction and we can clearly evaluate still a, a, a restriction a tie, uh, this is when the baby or a child or an adult actually is ready for for a, to, for a release mm -hmm. or revision or division depending what country we we are. We are. <laughs> okay, okay. Yes. So I really wanted to get that up because there are. It's not just don't cut it and leave them at home and oh whatever. it's rarely the case actually uh i i i think it's unfair to uh to send parents to have a release with very little information mm -hmm. and also as a first intention to be honest because first of all one it's not always necessary and second cutting it doesn't improve the function in um deep way if i can uh okay. and, and yeah. sustainable way most of okay. the time it's yeah. a little more complex than just cutting a piece of uh, fascia yeah tissue. And, and i mean to my understanding and again I'm, I'm i'm happy to be put in my place my understanding of that is that um because the tongue has always worked in one way with the tie releasing it is great but there's almost like with anything else you would get rehabilitation to be Absolutely. able to use that muscle properly. The tongue has many muscles and it's like you put a plaster around an arm for a certain amount of time. And as I was saying earlier, the tie gets um, gets there uh, the first trimester of pregnancy. So when a baby is born, already been compensating for a while. Mm. Um, if you uh, release it right away, there's a very little chance that you achieve a fully uh, optimal function of the tongue and the mouth in general. Okay, I get you. In I my experience, you. in my opinion and experience. I love it. That's why we have you here for your experience and your opinion. <laughs> okay, now I really want to get your experience and your opinion because we're going to dive into, they made a lot of the idea of this consensus statement was to see where could these professionals inside this in, inside uh, ENT, where could they agree? And where was the thing a little gray and where could they just not agree at all? So we've looked at four points that we just want to take out. There are a lot of points inside the study and I really encourage yeah, you to read it's it. It's pretty heavy. Yes. It's heavy going and I still feel bad that I have uh, sent this poor lady to actually have to read through this uh, horrible, <laughs> was... dusty thing. No, no, I, I knew, I knew, I knew 
that uh, I knew that study. Uh, I didn't go into depth before yeah. you asked me to, but it was very interesting. And all the points actually um, uh, put uh, put out were uh, things that is are discussed anyway mm -hmm. in general into the scientific community. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. So the first thing we want to talk about was they stumbled right at the get-go with definition. So there was a there was a stumbling block around uh, people using the word anterior tongue tie and people using the word posterior tongue tie. And they seem to be able to come to some sort of consensus with anterior. But with posterior tongue tie, it got really sort of wishy-washy. They used words like posterior. They used words like submucosal. Um, what is your feeling on on anterior versus posterior tongue ties? Ooh, and that's and you don't have to put your head on a block. <laughs> <laughs> um, huh. you, it's tricky because depending where you train, you're going to have a different opinion. Okay. I think because uh, again, I worked in four different countries, and those four different countries, like most of the consensus is different. Mm. For example, where I trained the most was in the US, uh, especially in Houston, Texas, where I had the fantastic chance to work with great ENTs, great dentists, mm. functional dentists, uh, great, great, amazing IBCLCs, um, SLPs that like a lot of them are teachers are lecturers so i mean they know their topic and uh they a lot of them uh, were working together around babies and oh my god the 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 results we mm. had were amazing so uh, i was living in my unicorn world where people would work together and we agree we, we agreed on denomination we agreed on uh, what is a tie which uh, degree uh, stage one two three four extra we, we, uh, and then I moved in another country and the beliefs were different hmm. the dynamic was extremely different and then I moved in UK a few months ago and now everything is again different so I'm going to tell you the way I've worked the most, and I still try to work with providers. I rely a lot on the cold law uh, classification with uh, with tongue ties with um, stage one, two, three, four. So one is when it comes to the complete tip of the tongue, you know, like the heart-shaped tongue. Mm -hmm. So this one, when you talk to different providers, a lot of them agree on the existence of that type of tie. Okay. Then when the, the deeper we go, the less agreement there is. Um, I've seen myself more issues with some posterior ties than anterior ties. And when I say anterior, actually they are anterior and posterior. They are not just uh, anterior, you know, they go all the way. Yes. So they include the posterior tie. Oh, okay. um, the posterior their tie, uh, you cannot see it. You really have to learn how to make it uh, appear with your finger and like with a proper oral uh, evaluation, you really have to go in there and 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 do specific tests for that. And mm -hmm. um, this is what I feel not everybody is trained uh, to, to assess. Okay. Uh, and what I notice uh, during the year is that in many professions, uh, this is not in our basic training. Mm. We need extra training. 
we need extra, you know, uh, and and that extra training is not uh, available everywhere. I had the chance to be in America where like it was a hotspot for, for symposium, for studies, for all of that. So I thought it was normal, but it's actually pretty rare to be in a hotspot for that topic and the, the study mm. group around that topic. Yeah. yeah. I think you make I think you make so many valid points there because and that's exactly kind of what the, that study says is that there's there's no consensus that we can all jump on but in certain places you are going to find that you're going to get like-minded people together and they're going to work in one way because that's what that's what works and having the classification yes. really helps really helps it helps well. it helps not everybody agrees on those classifications but really helps to have um talking the same but the mm. same language between professions and this is what it's about yeah. as well tell course. me if i'm right here because the, the here's here's my feeling and again I'm, I'm happy to be corrected my feeling would be it's it's not about how big that that the 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 frenulum is it's about does its existence interfere with the tongue's ability to move and if you absolutely you're... yes cool okay and then if you no, no, if you <laughs> no sorry i've I, I i realize i'm i'm in tricky water here so i'm i'm, I'm going very slowly <laughs> so if if that is the case then then just having a visual look and saying oh well it's not an anterior so that means that it's not a thing without then going in and actually doing an oral motor check to see is that posterior changing or not you are not going through what you should be going through diagnostically to be able to determine even if it's a small frenulum is it still affecting the function of the tongue absolutely and you just said uh, a key word here the function uh, I honestly, personally, don't care about the look. I've seen more anterior ties with the tongue that has more function than some babies, or uh, especially babies actually with posterior tie that have a complete lack of, of function. Okay. Okay. Thank yes. you very, very much. You put that, yes. you really opened my eyes to that. Thank you. Okay. Now, the second point that we wanted to talk about was they they talked about the fact that tongue ties are overdiagnosed and that was an interesting one for me because i've i hadn't particularly thought about it in those terms i'd always thought about oh it's an interesting thing that we're now finding and because i also think back to my kids it wasn't a thing no one was looking for tongue ties back then um and i think about you know i look at my mates and we all of course when you start doing it you all look around at each other going ah, ah, ah you know do i have one do you have one um <laughs> So what they talked about was it's potentially overdiagnosed in some places and then it's overtreated. What are your thoughts on what are your thoughts on this? Well, it all depends where we are looking at, right? Um, maybe certain providers are a little quick to uh, to see ties. But again, we were talking about that earlier, Mike. If if you know how to properly assess the oral function there's very little chance that you are really overdiagnosis. And like, if we take the whole word right now, it's still very much underdiagnosed, okay. even in adults. I have lots of adults that um, uh, have ties that have never been um, 
uh, evaluated before. And actually that's what started to change my practice as a chiropractor. It's when I had for years, a patient coming with chronic headaches, jaw tensions, mm. like posture and all that. And we would adjust and adjust and it was better, but coming back and extra and with all the technique I've learned, it was was not enough. That's when I started to train in proper oral function and especially ties that I started to evaluate, uh, not evaluate, but like to, 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 to really look inside the mouth mm. of patient and under the tongue. And I was like, oh my God, there's a connection. And I have many, many examples of that, even with adults, actually. Okay. So I really think that maybe in some parts, Overdiagnosed, I don't know, but quick to get released okay. without the proper assessment and the proper care first, like pre pre release care. But overall, I think underdiagnosed, to be honest. Okay, cool. That's very interesting. Very, very interesting. So, and this is going to be, I, I'm sure this is going to feel like a really basic question to you, but it's something that I think a lot of us would like to know. What, why? It, does having a frenulum that stops the or slows or alters the function of the tongue why does that affect breastfeeding so much oh that's a big topic uh we can yeah. talk for hours about it because it's I feel like the... an idiot asking it but no <laughs> no no it's actually it's actually the question to ask yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh we would need a lot of time to go mm. in depth so i'm gonna gonna try to make it simple so when cool. a baby is on the breast especially on the breast right, there's bottle and and there's dysfunctions on the bottle too it's not only about breastfed babies that can have dysfunctions but uh, when babies are on the breast you want uh, them to have the the three rhythm um, phase phases where they have a suck swallow and breathe okay and the tongue there so when baby latches on the breast mm. the tongue should elevate stick out to uh, get like around the areola um, mm. of the of the mom if you have restrictions the tongue have has a very hard time to stick out and to uh, to to latch properly, right? Mm. So we see a lot of shallow latch or uh, babies that bite or use their gums or their lips, and that is very painful. Mm -hmm. um, or babies who have a weak suck because they get so tired of trying to, you know, it's like you have something that anchor down your tongue and you need your tongue to do all that work but you have mm. to work double triple to be able to achieve a proper drainage of the breast this is exhausting for babies and um and this is exhausting and painful sometimes for moms okay okay i, I always it always brings me back to that to, to that thinking of uh, the baby that feeds and feeds and feeds and feeds and they look like they're feeding forever. And these are the kids that just keep falling off those centiles. And they're working and they're working and they're putting all this energy in, but the food is actually not coming in. And then you get a mom with mastitis and, and then the whole sort of picture. Exactly. And that's a domino effect after that. <clears throat> this is where uh, IBCLCs and chiropractors and other professions work excellent together because IBCLCs are best to evaluate if a baby is actually really draining uh, the, the the best uh, the, um, the the breast you're right i see babies on the breast and they suck 
and mm. they never swallow. And nobody told the mom to really um, to really check if they are swallowing. Mm. They don't even know how to see if they're swallowing. So that's one of the basic that I teach moms or parents. This is, is your baby swallowing? Um, I had not later than last week, a baby that went from 98 percentile at birth to 28 without anyone even seeing that uh, that baby was in distress. Wow. Mom knew, but nobody was helping her. Um, she came to me, we did a full lactation assessment. I did a full oral assessment and a full chiropractic assessment. I do three of them usually during a session, the first session. And baby was on the breast, was sucking, and was actually on the breast all day and all night. Mom was mm. at the end, but she didn't want to stop uh, breastfeeding. But I told mom, do you feel your, your breast full? No, never. Do you see him swallowing? I don't know. And when I did my assessment, the poor baby was not swallowing. So the, and was starting to be um, uh, pretty apathic and all of that. So mm -hmm. the, the baby dropped significantly and that can be dangerous. And nobody, nobody assessed him before that. So we did what we had to do. And baby is back to 80 percentile right now. In wow four weeks time yeah that's fantastic you know so, you, rem you remind me so much of 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 a baby i had in south africa and it was really it was the one that shook me because i remember the mom saying we eat a lot um but then he sleeps a lot and i was like oh, okay that's interesting and it's a three to four week old baby she says no no he eats a lot and then he sleeps for like seven hours seven hours hang on a second what are you talking about turns out the baby is so malnourished that they can't actually organize to lift themselves up and then they'll get up, they will eat, and then they will eat and try and try and eat and then get completely distressed and then fall back to sleep again. And again, when we looked at the, at the, at the Absolutely. chart, dropping off. And the problem Ideally, is she thinks he's fine. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So when we have more alert uh, give. Even when babies are crying, it's like mom know that they don't get enough. Like this is obvious because babies are asking, but at some point babies don't have the strength anymore to do that. Mm. And this is when it gets uh, quite dangerous. Yeah. With you. With so you. with the proper support with IBCLC, uh, it's, it's, it can make such a difference. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Last thing that I want to talk to you about, they talked about buckle ties. Now we know that we get tongue tie, we know we get lip ties, but these buckle ties on the side they talked about, and they were talking about cutting them or not cutting them and actually leaving them there being potentially beneficial for breastfeeding. So it would just be interesting to get your take on these buckle ties. Again, an excellent question. I'm full of them <laughs> today. Oh, you're great. Um, so the buckle ties are also called cheek ties or maxillary ties. So this is a frenum that um, attached the cheek to the maxillary. So the, you know, uh, here. Um, again, really depending where you practice, some um, practitioners, ENTs, dentists, uh, doctors will address them or not. Uh, in the scientific literature, 
people who are not in favor of uh, intervention will say that there's no proof mm. in the evidence-based proof that um, buccal ties can be an issue for breastfeeding. Uh, again, I was in the US where I worked with some practitioners that were addressing them, not all the time, but mm -hmm. sometimes yes. And when I myself do a full evaluation for babies, I sometimes feel some very preeminent. And um, you can see those babies, usually they have, uh, it should show your picture at some point, but mm -hmm. usually they have very tight cheeks like that and when they latch on the breast they have a very hard time to have mobility here okay. um, and in my experience this is not the first tie that i've seen addressed far from that but in some cases it can make a big difference i've seen okay. that okay i just wanted to um i just wanted to make sure that uh people really understand the importance of working together yeah. with different professions. This is what I, I train people, uh, I train providers, I train professionals in France into ties. Uh, and this, I cannot repeat it enough. This is extremely important to have different professions, IBCLCs, doctors, uh, midwives, mm -hmm. uh, chiropractors, doulas, and SLPs. Uh, and others, of course, working together and mm. adding their own specialty into the, <clears throat> the, the, the assessment and the care of babies. And this is where I've seen the best results. Wonderful, wonderful. Dr. Aurélie Petitclerc, thank you very, very much for your time and, uh, and graciously uh, helping, helping us through this paper. I really, really, I, I always gain so much when I speak, when I speak with, with colleagues. So thank you, thank you. And uh, I'm sure I'm going to bug you to be on soon again. Oh, my God. Anytime. <laughs> thank you Anytime. very much. It was for a your pleasure. Time. Great. Thank you okay, much. cool. See you soon.